1: Greetings and salutations, my creative brothers and sisters. Welcome to the Not Real Art Podcast, where we celebrate creative culture and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Sourdough. My co-host, the one and only Man One, is on assignment. I'm thrilled to tell you about today's very special guest. Every week for the last 15 years, Francis Anderton has been the producer and host of the beloved radio show on KCRW in Los Angeles, DNA, or Design and Architecture. On DNA, Frances tells important stories about how architecture and design impacts LA communities, politics, and culture. She helps Angelenos like me understand why design and architecture matters. However, after 22 years at KCRW and 15 years on the air with her show DNA, Frances is leaving to pursue new adventures. In fact, this episode is especially poignant because I talked to Frances just minutes after she left her office at KCRW for the last time after 22 years. So what you're about to hear is a real human moment, especially for any of us who have ever left a job we love but knew it was time to go. Before I talk to Francis, I want to say thanks for tuning in to our 106th episode of the Now Real Art Podcast. Please be sure to like this episode and subscribe. Your likes and follows helps ensure you won't miss new shows, and it makes the algorithm God's happy, which helps us too. So thanks for that. March is International Women's Month, and we are going to celebrate in a big way. To help us celebrate and honor the power of women, we have asked artist and friend Aaron Yoshi to take the podcast over during the whole month of March. We're giving Aaron complete creative control of the podcast, and I know it's going to be awesome. Aaron's going to honor some amazing women in the arts and share some incredible stories with you. So heads up. And stay tuned as we celebrate International Women's Month in March with Erin Yoshi as your fearless host here at the Not Art Podcast. Now, speaking of strong women, today I'm talking to beloved design journalist Frances Anderton on the last day of her job at KCRW after 22 years on the air. So without further ado, let's get into this and hear from the one and only Frances Anderton. Francis Anderton, welcome to the Not Real Art podcast.
0: Well, it's an honor to join you, Scott.
1: Well, it's, I tell you what, you're classing up the joint. I mean, we don't usually get people of your stature here, so the honor is all mine. <laughs>
0: Goodness me. Thank you for the compliments. Thank you for the compliments. I'm not sure that I deserve them, but really Scott, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. So, let's hear what you've got to ask me. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I just, <laughs> I, you know, I just am so grateful that we're able to catch up. It's been, you know, there's so much going on. This is an epic time in life for you right now, you know, change is afoot. Things are happening. Obviously, 2020 has been an epic, challenging year on on multiple fronts. I mean, we can't say anything. Here today about 2020, that probably hasn't already been said, but there are so many things happening, but then, you know, that wasn't enough for you. The COVID pandemic, presidential elections, uh, social injustice, this wasn't enough. You, You had to add another layer of drama in your life and decide to move away from KCRW this year.
0: That's right. And I'm not the only one to add another layer of drama. I think what I'm hearing is, what I'm reading, is that a lot of people have made changes in their lives this year. It's something about the concentration of almost epic level changes in our lives that have given people greater, perhaps, clarity on things that they weren't necessarily, they didn't necessarily have the time to sort of stop and think about and see. It's given people sometimes crisis has produced a sense of adventure we all know people who've moved town who've moved country who've changed up their family you know there's been so many ways people who've who were forced out of a job by the terrible circumstances but have figured out a way to do something completely new you know it's been it's been a, a fascinating time of renewal
1: for a lot of people it's a real reckoning isn't it i mean usually personal you know crises on a personal level, forces individuals to take stock of their lives. May make ch- personal changes, what have you. But this was a crisis on a global scale, you know, exposing fault lines in not just you know nations and communities, but in families and in personal lives. And you know what an opportunity to sort of take stock and reprioritize at scale, right? I mean, and and that's what's going to be so fascinating moving forward. I mean, how are we as a species? really going to (laughs) learn from this? Are we really going to change? Are we really going to make life better moving forward?
0: Well, gosh, I certainly hope we are. I mean, I think there's sort of two possible outcomes. One outcome is that when people feel enough people are vaccinated and they can take their masks off and go out, I think we might see a surge of going back to the old life like we've never imagined, like people will be just jumping on aeroplanes, rushing to bars, going to parties, making up for lost time, a bit like after the Spanish flu and the First World War, you know, and then was followed by the Roaring Twenties. So we may have our own version of the Roaring Twenties. We may not necessarily learn all the lessons. On the other hand, on the other hand, ideally, there will be some takeaways. And I'm repeating what's been said in numerous places, but we've seen how our, our perhaps our relationships to our, our close friends and, and communities have perhaps strengthened over this past year, if we're lucky. We've seen how we've perhaps appreciated nature more because we've spent more time walking in the neighbourhood. If we're parents, we've spent more time with our kids. Now, that can be a challenge, but it's also been very rewarding. I've learned things about my daughter in the last year that have been absolutely revelatory to me. And I would never have learned some of this stuff if she was rushing off at 7am to high school and I was running to do my stuff. So on and on it goes, even our pets, you know, it sounds like silly and lightweight, but I am convinced that our cat spends more time in the house and has become more affectionate and sweet because we have spent more time at home. So anyway, and then it you know on the urban level as you know, I I do a lot of reporting on the urban fabric. And with the exception of right here and now where we're going through this, you know, big shutdown all over again, but prior to that so many places in LA had discovered outside dining and streets near where I live which had been positively moribund, they were dying on the vine and they have been woken up by this outside dining all these restaurants that have shown such creativity creating these outside eating areas all with their own personalities different fire pits what I've been loving about the outdoor dining is the creativity that's been shown by so many of the restaurateurs all building their own outdoor spaces you know so quickly and ingeniously some of them putting up quite ambitious, almost like stage sets and bringing in the landscaping and the fire pits and others, you know, bringing in the astroturf and then the painted K-rails. It goes on and on. I've so enjoyed that unexpected dimension of this crisis and there's been many others. So people have noticed throughout the centuries that crisis breeds changes in the urban fabric, whether it's war, whether it's famine or plague. Things change afterwards, whether it's a great fire, whether it's an earthquake. And so to anyone interested in design and architecture and so forth, this is a very fascinating moment. You know, there's so many areas in which we might see changes.
1: Yeah, our species is very good at adapting. Right. And, you know, that cuts both ways. Right. Sometimes maybe we shouldn't adapt. Maybe we should actually change our behaviors so that we can stop climate change more abruptly or what have you. But we are adapting. We have adapted to this. But the outdoor dining thing specifically, which I love as well. I mean, you and I had dinner not too long ago in Venice at one of these places, and it was just so charming. I mean, I felt like I was in Europe somewhere. But does that genie go back in the bottle? I mean, when things, not that we want it to go back in the bottle, but I mean, what do you think? I mean, when, when things open up again and traffic you know, increases, I mean, a lot of folks have come to, like you and I, have come to love this. I mean, do you think restaurants will try to figure out how to keep those sidewalk dining areas?
0: I certainly hope they do and and I have heard from some restaurateurs down near where I live, that they certainly want to and that the city is certainly open to it. Let's face it, Scott, we all know that our retail districts, our commercial districts were already facing challenges before the pandemic. Yeah. There was yeah. already trouble in retail land. And and in dining, you know, there was some pressures on dining as an industry in L.A. If perhaps it was the pressure of there being too much competition and it was harder and harder for people to make a profit and overheads were so high and so on and so forth. So certainly in the neighborhood that I live, it seems as if there's a desire to keep this outdoor dining going because it has revived a street that was having some serious economic, you know, retail challenges. I think I'm sure it'll be different for different neighborhoods. You know, I certainly heard stories about places like, I think it was Glendale Galleria, where they put tables and chairs in the parking structure. Well, I can imagine, I thought that was absolutely fantastic, but I can imagine that businesses like that might be jolly pleased to be able to get rid of the tables and chairs and put the cars back in there. But I think it's going to vary. And I think the same is going to be true of the workplace. I'm trotting out a cliche here. We've talked, many people have talked for months about the Change in the workplace, but company after company is looking at its costs and looking at how the pandemic has worked for people in terms of working from home. And they're figuring out, in a lot of cases, I think they're remapping their futures, you know, maybe more hybrid. But it's been a moment of reckoning to be sure.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, obviously, you know, business has to look for ways to cut costs and increase profits and technology. Has has developed now at such a, a pace and a place where remote working is absolutely a viable alternative, and this idea of a hybrid model certainly makes sense. I mean, God, you know, I feel bad for the you know commercial real estate industry moving forward. I don't know what New York's going to do. I mean, you know, in term, I mean, it's, gonna, it's obviously feels like there's going to be a huge reckoning there because I think business at the end of the day very well may welcome their certain percentage of their workforce to work from home, a certain percentage of the year. There's benefits in reduction of traffic. I mean, LA traffic has been fantastic. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't think anybody wants to go back to gridlock.
0: That's right. That's right. And I have to say the traffic being so easy and flowing, it raises another kind of dilemma because on the one hand, we all understand that we need to look to a sort of post automobile dependent future And yet, all of a sudden, it's fun to drive again.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. Well, you know, you hear about these Angelinas that have grown up here and, and have been here for years. You know, I've been here 20 years now, I guess. But, you know, they actually talk about those days when you could get from hollywood to santa monica in 20 minutes you know uh it was that old saying about you can get anywhere in 20 minutes in la but that was like 50 years ago
0: <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. Uh, oh, my enjoying goodness. a brief revisiting of that
1: well this is an epic week for you and you know by the way I, I don't think i've ever told you how grateful i am for you and the work that you've done at kcrw for the last 15 years i mean you you Single-handedly, of course, with the help of you know many amazing people at KCRW, have helped to prove that we can talk about design. We can talk about architecture. You don't have to have the pictures. You don't have to see these beautiful buildings and these beautiful designs. You can actually talk about it. You have single-handedly proven that visual mediums can be talked about on radio. And people just love design and architecture, DNA, your show of 15-some years at KCRW. Thank you for all of the amazing hard work that you and your team have done.
0: Well, Scott, thank you so much. I really, you have been such a friend of the show and I really, really appreciate it. And anyone who might be listening, I really appreciate your support too. And what I've always felt about that show is it is, um, well, now I can't think of the word. That's the thing that I always think the show is, it channels. I've always felt it channels a community of which I'm a part, you know? Yes. So that's the role that it has. It is absolutely of and about this amazing creative community in Los Angeles. Yes, I touch on topics that are international in reach, international themes, but it's always embedded in the life of Los Angeles and the people that make Los Angeles the sort of infinitely interesting place that it is.
1: Yeah, I mean, your show has really humanized design and architecture in a way that maybe many other shows uh, strive to and and fall short, or certainly there are many other amazing publications and outlets out there that, that do a fantastic job of, of covering these subject areas as well. But, you know, as I have described your show to people over the years, is that, you know, it's, yes, yeah, sure, it's about architecture. Yes, yeah, sure, it's about design. But really, it's about the intersectionality of, of how design and architecture impacts, you know, communities and society LA specifically, you know, the people, the communities, the politics. And, you know, it's that human element that you uh, have always done such a great job of shining a light on.
0: Do you know, Scott, I was writing that down as you said it because you said it so well. It's like I've spent I've spent eighteen years trying to figure out how to explain what DNA does, <laughs> <laughs> and you just said it in two sentences. Thank you.
1: Oh, oh, hey, it's, uh, you know, it's it's what I do, Francis. It's what I do. You no, know, that well, I tell you what, it is a bittersweet time. You know, the show is changing; it's going away. I mean, how are you feeling today? This is a big week. I mean, you you're sort of moving on. When was your last day at KCRW? It was today? Yeah.
0: Well, it was sort of today and it was also Tuesday. Officially, it was Tuesday, which was mm-hmm. that was when my email was supposed to be cut off. And I was supposed to hand in my key card and all of those kind of things. But in fact, I wound up doing that practical stuff today, handing sure. in the key card, taking back equipment. I'm still associated with a project that I was rushing to finish up by Tuesday. It's one that's going to air in January and February called, well, it was called Wasted. It's now called No Such Places Away, Neat Solutions to the Dirty Problem of Waste. But anyway, I had to do pickups on that show. So it was weird. It was really weird because I went into the station today. There's obviously hardly anybody there because of the pandemic, but there were enough people there to have an extremely emotional experience because there I was back in the station, still doing a little bit of work, even as I was actually kind of exiting the place, meeting all my old pals who I hadn't seen for months, who by now have received and responded to my goodbye staff email have had some very, very nice responses back. That was in itself an emotional experience going through that exchange. And there I was seeing a lot of people in the flesh. And I don't want to say a lot because I don't want anyone to think that KCW has got crowds of people working there. It doesn't, but I maybe saw five people and then just seeing every single one of them. It was lovely and kind of very painful. And I was I was really sort of reminded that I made this decision in in a kind of bubble of being at home, only communicating via email and Zoom, and that everything that had happened at the station and indeed across the country where people have been making changes, so often they've been making those decisions in a non-normal situation. And I went in now and it was suddenly more like normal. And I was hit with this feeling of, oh my gosh, you know, did I and many other people take actions that were Really informed by the oddity of the time that we were in, you know. Now, to be honest, I actually still think that all the pointers were suggesting that it was time to sort of explore new paths, and the buyout, you know, came along at sort of intersected with that time. But still, can you imagine what I'm talking about? This weirdness yes. of going in, and all of a sudden, I'm meeting all these people, and it was so. Anyway, it has been it has definitely been a highly emotional week. And and also, and I'm sure people who've made transitions themselves can attest to this. I have basically spent 22 years because that's when I, DNA started 18 years ago. I started, I got involved with the station 22 years ago when I started first volunteering for Warren, Warren Olney and then became his producer and then got, you know, more and more opportunities at the station. So for 22 years, I have been attached to this—it's you know relatively small staff, but sort of big organization in terms of presence—with a whole infrastructure. I have never had to set up my own email system or worry about acquiring my own audio equipment. I've always had someone to rely on to do that, you know, because there was a department, there was an expert at the station that did so many things. So I had the blessings of being in a somewhat nimble organization that also provided all the sort of the backup. Not to mention, not to mention it provided an audience. You know, it it had a place in the community and I was just part of the fabric of that. And so in leaving on Tuesday, I was not only separating myself from the people at the station, I'm separating myself from the built-in audience and the built-in infrastructure of, of tech support and all of this stuff. So I spent most of yesterday... Faffing around trying to get new email accounts up and all of this kind of logistics, you know, that I didn't really think about because I was so busy just racing to finish this series. Because what has always interested me really pretty much more than anything is the work, you know, is just the content that you're working on. And I don't really, I've had the luxury of not having to think too much about the other stuff and and I will say to any UX designers that you ha- that are listening to this I have to say props to the UX designers because my last two days has been spent a lot of it with my brother-in-law who's helping me really organize a whole virtual office and a website and email and this and this and this and I've gone down this rabbit hole of UX and HTML and all this stuff that a lot of people are extremely very expert on, but not me. So anyway, so that's been happening at the very same time as I'm dealing with the pain of the goodbyes and mixed feelings about leaving this organization. So anyway, anyway, I was going to say that's it in a nutshell, but it's actually I've been kind of rambling on, but that's what's been going on.
1: It's bittersweet. I mean, you've been there 22 years and right now may even feel more bitter than sweet. How many staff were there 22 years ago? How big was the station 22 years ago when you started? You
0: know, the station got up to about 150. I think when I started, maybe it was around 60 or 70, but we weren't all in the same building. So you never really fully knew how many people there were. You didn't have a sense of all the people. And now you have a greater sense of that, because at least up until the pandemic, everyone was in the same building. But It was definitely when I joined the station, it really was one of those smaller, nimble organizations. And I have been told by experts in kind of business administration or whatever, that you get to a certain number in a company and then you really... It ceases to be that place where everyone knows everyone by name, and it has that kind of family feel where you're yes. in it together. And it, you probably know about this because you know more about companies than I do. But but anyway, or corporations there's this pl- there's this number. I think it's fifty. Once you get over fifty, you then have to start bringing in the structure and the managers and so on. And and that's been happening at KCRW and. It has certainly had impact on the kind of the character of the place.
1: It is strange, right? When you start seeing faces that you, you know, strange faces, like, okay, who is that person? I don't know that person. (laughs) It's like, wait a minute. Okay, I guess we're getting bigger. I mean, there are all kinds of challenges that come with that. And can an organization, can a brand, can a culture, really? Keep its soul as it grows. You know, when I, I wondered when you guys moved into the new building, how that shift might impact the culture of the place, because, you know, back in the basement at the college, you know, I'd, I'd been there a few times, but it was like a beehive. It was just teeming with energy and, and excitement and electricity And positivity and, you know, and, and people get that that's their spot. They get comfortable. They, they, it's beloved. They trust it. They, you know, whatever. And then you move into a new location. And sometimes the challenge is, does the vibe, you know, if you will, to use a technical term, does the vibe come with you, you know, into a new space? And of course, that new building was beautiful. It's fantastic. But, you know, this is the challenge for leaders and managers to, How do you maintain your culture? How do you keep the morale intact as you grow and as you change?
0: Well, you put it very well, Scott. That is exactly the question. And I think it's still being answered.
1: Right. It's a process for sure, for sure. And as you embark now, as you were leaving today, coming home, thinking about things, are you going to take some time off? Are you going to go to the beach? I mean, you can walk to the beach from your place. <laughs> so it feel, feels like you need a long walk on, on, a, on a longer beach.
0: Do you know, it's so funny you say that because I actually have a friend Mallory Roberts Morgan, if she's in in our world of designers, and she's taken up ocean swimming, and she keeps insisting that I meet her and go ocean swimming. So I'm contemplating an ocean swim, Scott, believe it or not, at this time of year. But what was I going to say? What was I going to say to that question? The holidays were upon us. So a lot of stuff has slowed almost to a halt anyway. I had thought that I would kind of Hit the ground running with getting my sort of new life started. I think there is going to be a slowdown. That's actually a good thing because I have to. I have family in England that I had kind of completely forgotten that I need to send them some presents because I was so preoccupied with myself. You know, I was so self-absorbed for this time. So I have to actually get off that train for a little bit and do the holiday stuff for loved ones. But you know, when I get off the phone from talking with you, Scott, I'll be back on the phone with my brother-in-law, who's talking me through this setting up of this office. I'm, you know, there's a whole bunch of projects. No, I don't want to say whole bunch as if I'm suddenly like leaping into a 10 new projects. No, I've got some things to start working on. And so I will be slowly like cranking myself back up into Into that place, but I'm telling you it is a psychological process. I mean, you and I have talked about these kinds of transitions, and the anticipation is different from the reality. You know you can anticipate certain things that are going to be a challenge, but you can't anticipate all of them. You can't anticipate all of them. One that I did anticipate would be a challenge is the one that I've talked to you about about losing the infrastructure of KCRW. And what that means and and sort of what it means to be a kind of a free agent. And I will say I do think that there's kind of an ego issue in that place. You know, I have been so incredibly lucky to have a gift, a great gift, which was the opportunity to have a radio show on KCRW, a fantastic station in a fantastic city, and I was able to have an audience at a time. Before podcasts, before blogs, before the deluge, because that's when I got started, was before the sort of deluge. So you actually were heard in a car on just regular terrestrial radio. And that was a huge privilege. And, you know, it continued, albeit it took on other forms. And there was much more, I guess one would call it sort of competition out there that sort of blew up with all the media transformations. But anyway, in leaving, you're sort of getting off of that train where you've had this almost weekly sort of shot to your vanity, you know. And I have to be very, very aware of that. One, I mustn't miss it. And two, I have to understand what it is and understand how lucky I've been to have it and how it's not my right to have it. And then kind of move forward. I don't, it's not completely starting over, but it's figuring out if i can kind of prove my own worth i suppose
1: here's the good news and my two cents unsolicited here but the good news is that for you i think is that the work that needs to be done is actually i would argue the easier lift because the heavy lifting that you've been doing over the last 15 20 years is connecting with la the citizens of la of la building trust, rapport, uh, camaraderie with your listeners, with the city of LA. And so that's obviously invaluable. It's priceless, the reputation that you've built and that you have. And so this transition to more independent lifestyle, the emails will get set up, the websites will get set up. you, you know, Believe me, I'm not a tech guy. <laughs> I, I hate all that stuff too. I totally get your pain and your frustration with that, you will soon be past it, right? And your audience is going to be ready for you when you're ready for them.
0: Oh, Scott, that's so kind of you to say that and very wise. It's so fascinating being in this world that you and I are both in, where one is reaching an audience. And I mean, another gift, I guess, of leaving actually has been the responses that have come from people and and realizing that there's these People out there that perhaps I never actually met in person, but who feel sort of deeply part of this community that you and I and all of us who are listening to shows like yours or mine, you know, that we're in. And and then there's these certain media individuals or outlets that function as kind of channels for it. There's something there's been something so so rewarding about knowing and hearing from some of these people directly that I'd never heard from before. And it's been pretty special, I have to say. That's been it's been a very, very unexpected and upside of all of this is actually sort of learning who some of the audience were that have been with me for this, maybe even for 18 years or for some years and getting acquainted with them on the public announcement of my departure. It's been kind of odd. But anyway, that's a bit rambly. And Scott, feel free to cut that.
1: This is gold. Are you kidding me? I mean, you're being so generous with your feelings here. And it's a special time. I mean, this is a historic moment. You know, in your career, it's a historic moment for KCRW because, of course, they're going through a lot of changes. It's a crazy time in history anyway. So, I mean, this is all precious stuff. And this speaks so much to your character. But you are so focused on the work and creating value for your listeners and telling important stories that need to get told. I mean, forgive the analogy, but you're so focused on making the donuts, right, (laughs) that in all these years, you never really looked up to realize that there's a line out the, the Out the door and around the store ready to buy those donuts that you're making. And I think that that's what you're waking up to right now. You finally are looking up from the table you've been working so hard at for 15, 20 years, and you're looking around going, wow, you know, who are all these people? (laughs) You know, it's like, it's like people are really, you know, they really like my donuts. And that's a a gorgeous, (laughs) beautiful gift that you have earned, because that's only come from your blood, sweat, and tears over the last 15 years telling great stories.
0: So, Scott, should one continue forward with donuts, or should they be bagels? or muffins?
1: <laughs> Beignets. Go beignets. with beignets.
0: Okay, very good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm from the Midwest, so donuts uh, came to mind first.
0: And I guess my question back to you is, does one continue with the same product, or do you slightly change up the product?
1: Well, that's why you need the ocean swim. Okay. That's why you need the long walk on the longer beach, because those are the questions that you have to answer for yourself, right? I mean, you are in a, I think, a very strong position, an enviable position that at this point in your career, and it it, 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 it just, it gets to, I mean, it's a fundamental thing, right? I mean, you have to do that sort of, soul-searching and that introspection to like figure out what do you want what's going to make you happy right and you know as someone who's tracked your career it has known you for you know a few years and what have you you could absolutely credibly keep doing what you've been doing because God knows we love it and we want it and we need it it's a public service basically a, a utility that we have dna here in la you could keep doing what you've been doing which is absolutely fantastic but you also are in a position where you can Decide. Well, no, maybe I want to explore other avenues. Maybe you want to write that novel that's been in the back of your mind. You know, maybe you want to become the Anthony Bourdain of architecture. You know, I, you know, I don't. I don't know, but that's for you to decide, and it'll take time. And I, you know, as you're, as a colleague, as a friend, you know, I would say I think the world pressures us to be hasty about these things and know what we want to do, you know, today so we can get to work tomorrow, but these decisions are too important. They're too critical to make fast. And I think, you know, the challenge for you is really just to be patient and kind of, you know, dare I say, love yourself through it, you know, and take the time you need to make the right decision for you. Well, thank you very much, Scott. That's
0: actually very, very reassuring advice.
1: Well, and the good news too, is a practical matter, right, as I understand it, you're on air Right on KCRW, you're formally titled "Wasted" series, <laughs> which no. I want to. Which I I want to. <laughs> I'm, I'm very curious about why suddenly the title has been changed, <laughs> but we won't go there. Maybe you can't talk about it. Oh no, I can tell you,
0: but ask me your question first, and then I'll tell you why.
1: All right. So the show that was formerly called "Wasted," as I understand it, it's on air until like March, right? To January, February. So effectively, you're on air. For a couple of months. I mean, people are going to be able to hear you. I'm guessing every week do this amazing series, which is super exciting, and I can't wait to hear it myself. But you, so you've got a couple of months, you've got a few weeks. There's no pressure here for you to decide. You know, by January first, what you want to be doing and get to work. So, you know, I think you have a gift of time here a little bit to decide. And is you know, as long as you, I don't know. I guess if I were you, I would be thinking of March as a a nice deadline to say, okay, you know, my goal is by March, I'm going to know what the heck I want to do.
0: And in fact, I'm going to use time really pretty much up until the end of March to write a book. I'm not sure whether I mentioned this, but I'm writing a book and it's about multifamily housing in LA and it builds off of some re- a bunch of a whole bunch of reporting that I actually did at the station but it's something I'm really it's a topic I'm really passionate about mm-hmm. and i'm looking at multifamily housing that's you know anything from sort of bungalow courts of of the last century through to apartment buildings with swimming pools and shared roof terraces you know and i'm looking at the role that these housing types have played In Los Angeles from a design vantage point, because some of them are great. A lot of them are awful, but some of them are great. And they are especially great when they're also a venue for social encounter. And my argument is that many, many people come to LA from, they uproot, they leave their family, they leave their friends in other places, they come here, they're alone. And many, and they will find themselves living in, sometimes it's a rental, it might be a condo but they create a sort of like a little mini community, what a friend of mine refers to as a world within a world. So I'm going to pick some of the best of these kinds of places and I'm going to do a book on it. And I feel very strongly about it because I think the future in L.A., is actually multifamily because there just isn't the land left and it's too expensive for most people. So anyway, I'm going to do that. And that's going to pretty much coincide with The Wasted, the the show formerly known as Wasted. So yes, to the calendar that you just laid out, that's pretty much exactly what's going to happen.
1: Well, that's super exciting. Do you have an outline for the book already? I mean, it sounds like you're raring to go on the book.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's going to be published by a publishing house called Angel City Press. And they're putting together, they've really built an archive. They're LA-based or they're Santa Monica-based. And they're building a very nice collection of publications that all have to do with LA architecture, land use, design, history. It's for them. Yes, yes.
1: That's super exciting. So you're focusing on, on the book, on the manuscript. Yeah, that's great. Put your head down, write the book. Like that's such a great way to focus your mind and get your mind off other things. Congratulations, by the way. Was this book deal sort of in the works over the last few months? Was this something that just came up?
0: The desire has been there for a while. The deal, it's such as it is, because I, I don't want to. I don't want to suggest that I'm going to be minting money out of a book. You know about multifamily housing.
1: If anybody knows anything about books and publishing, there's no money in books. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah.
0: This is a passion project, and I should say that I guess it did sort of come together over the last few weeks. But I should say that there's another dimension to this, which is one of the other reasons for. Well, this will be an, an a too long of an answer. I'll keep it as a short answer. One of the things that is going on in society right now is that people a lot of people are thinking about how they live, and that can be people who are getting older, who maybe don't have close family with them who maybe, you know, at an, at an age where they don't necessarily want to rattle around in a big house on their own and would like to have company. So there's great interest in co-living models among older generations and also in the 20-somethings. And co-living is becoming this big thing in the 20-somethings. So And there's a whole bunch of reasons for this. It's partly to do with real estate prices. And it's a lot to do with social fragmentation and a real feeling that for all the connectivity that tech has afforded us, it's also we're also experiencing greater fragmentation and creating physical space where people live together or at least at least partly live together. they're not it's not a commune, but there are more and more housing types where people have private space, but then perhaps eat together or hang out on the roof deck together, or there's these places of coming together that. Are becoming highly desirable and it's it's a big movement within development so i'm very interested in it and i, and I myself am getting older scott you know the years just
1: march on it's not me i'm not getting older, older. twenty nine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but i definitely talk with friends about how does one want to live if you have kids if your kids have left home and or maybe if you find yourself on your own if you're living single or you're bereaved or divorced or whatever, do you continue to live alone or do you look for something that gives you a bit more company? So I think these are very, very, very pressing social forces. So I've been thinking about those for quite a while. And the book is a reaction. And I should say it's inspired. I don't know if I've told you about this, but I've lived for years in a very early Frank Gehry designed six unit apartment building that has been an absolute pleasure to live in because it encapsulates these two qualities a quality of good architecture and light and space but also a quality of conviviality you know of of community but not so that you're literally in people's lives right so it's just the right balance just the right balance because i lived for years on my own and all those years i lived on my own i loved having just the security of people around me.
1: Yes. And we're social animals and, you know, and for starters, and then, you know, if, if it's a practical matter, if you're a single person and you're living alone, having, you know, a neighbor or neighbors around, I mean, there's security benefits in that. There's all kinds of value there. It is amazing because LA is, when I moved here from Chicago, I had obviously my girlfriend at the time, my, now my wife, but you know, she, I knew her and I knew a couple of her friends, but like I didn't know anyone else. And, you know, the architecture and layout of L.A. is is a very can be a very isolating one. You know, you're stuck in your car, you know, and often in traffic and what have you. It's not a dense urban environment like a New York or Chicago where you can meet people at the corner cafe or on the bus or what have you. Right. So how can architecture and design help to enhance our brothers and sisters. <laughs> you know, know in LA, exactly right? right?
0: That's exactly right. Now, I think of it in terms of sort of a tagline. It's like Melrose Place Meets Modernism. Yeah, right. Maybe you can remember the show Melrose Place
1: <laughs> I, I never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> what is the show you're talking, you speak of? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Okay, wait a minute. We skipped over it. Why the name change? Oh, why? Yes. Why isn't it wasted?
0: So wasted, which is a cool name, and it's nice. It's like one word. What could be wrong with that? So two things. One is in the course of putting together waste, which is an exploration of smart solutions to the growing waste issue in California because the Chinese stopped taking our trash, you know, and so here we are with heaping piles of of trash that we've got to figure out some way to deal with them. So we're looking at that, and we're looking at really creative ways in which people are thinking about it. Like we open with a story about a graduate of Art Centre College of Design who decides to redesign Barbie's dream house, but make it all up not with plastic. So, mm-hmm. and, and whether you can do it. Anyway, it's hopefully fun and creative ways into talking about a real genuine problem. But in the course of doing the research, we spoke with a lot of people in waste management and sustainability and recycling and so on. And I would say probably four or five people said to us this phrase, there is no such place as a way. And what this refers to is the fact that we're told all our lives that we can just, you know, throw our electronics away, throw our plastic pens and bags and just throw them away. We throw everything away. Well, there is no such place as a way because mm. there isn't an away because everything is utilizing resources, precious, often finite resources. Yes. And so we have to think about their end of life. We cannot hold on to this thought, this assumption that there's this away that right. you throw places in. And we kept hearing this, and I just thought, wow, that is so poetic. And it's mm, so, mm. it really captures it. It does need explaining, but once it's explained, it's like, yes, that is exactly the story. And every story we did wound up being about end of life and mm. how you could figure out how things could be reused, decomposed, recycled, or kept simply kept, you know, not break down in any way just that you would attach greater value to things so you wouldn't even want to throw them away so anyway that's the theme and then also i should say we discovered there was a canadian radio series from six years ago about waste called wasted
1: oh here we go this is the, this this is the real story okay <laughs> i
0: actually told the story in reverse The way the story went is, we discovered discovered that there had been this series and it was like, oh dear, that's not going to look good. We don't want people Googling our series and finding themselves at a series from six years ago that we didn't produce. So we thought, oh, we need to rethink this name. And we didn't really want to give up on Wasted, but this no such place as a way just sprung up as a kind of, Natural alternative, much more wordy, but we felt it was worth it.
1: I agree. I mean, you really made lemonade those lemons, yeah, for sure. It's it is poetic. It's a, it's a thinker, as it were, and I really, I really like that. But it, it is this issue of consumables, and poof, it's it's a loaded one. I, I can't wait to to hear your series about this because we're all guilty, right? We all have blood on our hands, and you know how do we start ex- accepting responsibility for the fact that well, I own the company, I made it, then I sold it, you know, then a consumer bought it and people feel like they have no more responsibility for it after it's sold or bought. And and then the consumer, you know, gets done with it. And so many of our things that are are designed to throw away, right? Of course, you know, Procter & Gamble wants you to buy as many bottles of Tide as possible. <laughs> you know, it's like, at what point do we all feel like we need to all accept some responsibility for this and reduce our waste, reducing our waste, because ultimately it's a quality of life issue for our kids. And when your economy is tied to uh, fast-moving consumer goods that must get sold, it is hard to change the paradigm, isn't it?
0: Yes, and that's exactly what the series is about. And it's trying to do it in a way that isn't like taking your nasty medicine. It's trying to do it in a way that is, you know, somewhat fun and lively and provocative, which gets us right back to podcasting, Scott, and radio and telling design stories on air, you know, in a way that you hope, even when they're taking on really like a smelly, nasty problem like waste, that you engage people in a way that makes them feel inspired and empowered and not. Depressed and, and, and hopeless.
1: That's the trick, isn't it? Yeah. Because if you know enough, it's really easy to get pessimistic, to be pessimistic and nihilistic about the situation. <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm reminded of a National Geographic illustration I saw years ago. It was basically a graphic image of the Earth. You could see the Earth, and it was identifying all of the space junk orbiting the Earth. I saw this, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And I thought, my God, we're, you know, we're polluting the atmosphere as well as the landfills, as well as, and I just recently, I think some explorers took a submarine down to the lowest part of the ocean only to find a piece of plastic.
0: My God. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. And you know what? (laughs) You know what? We did eight, or was it nine? We did nine episodes and we just barely scratched the surface. And in fact, you and I, Scott, we're going to be having many more design conversations once that series is done and once the book is handed off. And this is a topic that, as I say, we've scratched the surface. There is so much more to discuss and it's fascinating. And it is the next design challenge because what's going to happen, one of the things that we learned in the course of doing the research is we learned about things like a bill that 20 US states are trying to get passed called the right to repair. If right to repair gets passed, companies that have been building in obsolescence into their products are now going to have to make available the spare parts, the the repair manuals, and generally let people hold on to their stuff for longer and get it fixed. That's kind of back to the future. It's going back to the way we used to be to solve a problem that we have created in the last 40 or 50 years of an escalation of upgrade culture and built-in obsolescence. And this is a new frontier for designers. There's going to be work in, in the business of repair that's going to sort of come bouncing back again because the right to repair has just passed in Europe, Europe is a colossal market. If it's now passed in Europe, it's going to start passing in states in this country. And so there's going to be a slight change in the culture around products. I think we've become so used to this throw it away culture. And I think our next phase is going to be rethinking that because I think people are actually getting quite revolted at all the space junk and going to the bottom of the ocean and finding plastic.
1: Well, and it's in our food supply. Yeah. It's in us. I mean, we've tracked it all the way around that we make the stuff, we buy the stuff, we use the stuff, we throw the stuff away, but there's no such place as a way. So it ends up ultimately in our oceans, in the food supply, the fish eat the plastic, we eat the fish. And, you know, turns out we're recycling the stuff after all, it's just in our intestines. You know, it's like, it's, okay, we won't get pessimistic. Right, <laughs> we, right. Won't, we won't
0: we... talk about digestive systems. TMI. No, no.
1: <laughs> That's a whole other podcast. <laughs>
0: yes, it is. It is.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Francis Anderson, you are an awesome human being. I uh, just am so honored to call myself your colleague and your friend. I'm thrilled for you. I think this is an exciting. Yes, of course, it's scary, and it's and it should be, right? I mean, it's, it's a bittersweet, scary time. But you know you're in a strong position. I know this is going to be a grand adventure for you in this kind of new phase of your life. And as I understand it, I mean people have come out of the woodwork to support you. You know, when when they heard the show was going, so many people. And as I understand the story, tell me if I'm wrong. But when people started hearing that you were leaving, the show was leaving. I mean, people have come out of the woodwork to express their love and support for you. No.
0: Yeah, they have. I mean, it's been... As you've said, it's it's bittersweet because, yes, out of the woodwork, you know, an announcement got released sort of almost by mistake. You know, the list of people that were taking the buyouts from KCIW was somehow found its way to the LA Times. The LA Times sort of mentioned my name in connection with the story about this. Someone tweeted it. And then before I knew it, all these people and then, yes, individuals and some institutions sort of came forward, it was very rewarding. You know, it was definitely and it, it. And I had been feeling that I'd been doing this for a long time. And there was plenty of other design reporting talent out there. And it was sort of time for me to let other flowers bloom. You know, I definitely was feeling I was in that phase where I'd sort of had my time and it was now other people's time. I was kind of incredibly moved by this response. And so definitely figuring out how to keep the conversation going in a way that advances it. And, and I'm definitely going to be talking to you about that, Scott.
1: Well, that's exciting. I look forward to that. I'm going to put you on the spot, though. I'm going to ask you a question you may not want to answer. Who are you going to miss most at KCRW?
0: Oh, my gosh. That's like asking who's your favorite child.
1: (laughs) Okay, top three. (laughs) That is like asking who is your favorite child. Oh, my gosh. I know. It's your family, you know. They they are family.
0: And I'll tell you how family they are. One of the greatest friends of DNA, and therefore, by extension, me, has been W.'s longtime mailroom guy, Jason Groman. Jason Groman runs our mailroom. He also does work at commercial radio stations. He's also the guy that's moving stuff around when we have our events. He's like a jack of all trades. I guess you'd call him a jack of all trades. He just happens to be the nephew of Don Wexler, who was the great modernist architect. in Yeah, amazing. How cool is that? Yes. And he's Quietly fanatical about architecture, and he went and as a kind of gift to DNA, went off and composed a theme tune that we used for a while that was really, really clever and funny and he's one of those people that is what made to me the stations so marvelous because there'd be these people who weren't necessarily slotted into a sort of specific job description that pertained like, you know, head of design and architecture content. He wasn't he wasn't that person. He was this jack of all trades who was just sort of there for DNA all the way. So he's definitely one of them for sure. And he first told me about, by the way, Peterson Automotive Museums, what do they call it? The Crypt? Do they call it the Crypt or the... Mm, I
1: think so, yeah. Anyway,
0: so he'll first introduce me to that. So so anyway, he's just, a, to me, that's quintessential KCRW character. There's so many other people I'm going to miss enormously. I'll stay with that if that's okay.
1: That's great. Well, I mean, you and you are, I don't know, I mean, what do I know? But I, I they got it keep you on the line a little bit, right? I mean, you're got you you're going to be doing some freelance gigs for them from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> t- I- TBD, TBD. I get the sense that this is uh TBD. <laughs> t- yes, TBD yes, determined. Yes, okay. Yes. okay. <laughs> fair point. Fair point. It is an exciting time and we're starting a new year. I mean, this is, you know, guy, I know so many of us are, are just ready to be done with 2020. 2021 it is a new beginning on multiple levels. And I look forward to watching you move forth into your new life and into the new adventures that you're about to embark on. Well, thank Uh, you very much, Scott. Thank you very much, Scott. It's a joy to talk to you. Will you come back? Will you do this the honor and come back again and class up the joint one more time?
0: (laughs) I think it might be the other way around. You'll have to talk (laughs) to
1: me. Yes, yes, of course. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you, Francis Anderton. You have a fantastic weekend. It's almost five o'clock on this Friday evening. You're deserving of a delicious glass of wine. I think you need to pour yourself a libation of some kind.
0: There will be a libation. First of all, there's going to be a swim. I'm going around to a friend's house and I'm going to use this pool. Remember I told you I have this friend that has a pool and he texts me and he says, I'm going in the pool now. You come over next. So I'm going to go and use this pool. He heats it up to 93 degrees
1: i'm so envious you get over there catch your swim and unwind and relax because you deserve it francis anderton thank you so much for your time today thank you scott hey there thanks for tuning in please be sure to like this episode write a review and share with your friends on social and if you haven't already done so please press the subscribe button and follow us on instagram at not world if you're an artist be sure to apply for our 2021 artist grant at notrealart.com. Sourdough out.